Settler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. Thank you for joining me uh, on the podcast today. This is episode number 44. So thanks for hanging out with me. A uh, couple of quick things before we jump into it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, if you're on any one of those platforms and you're not connected to the Black Sheep Experience um, account, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Jump on there and make that connection. I'd really like to be connected to you there. Now, admittedly, I'm not overly active. In fact, a little negligent with the Twitter platform. I definitely need to up my game there. But I'm pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. So make that connection if you would. I'd really appreciate it. And in addition to that... Those that are under the sphere of your of your influence on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you know those that you're connected to, that you're friends with, if you'd let them know about this podcast, man, I'd really appreciate it. It makes a great deal of difference uh, because I don't do any advertising, a sponsored post, or anything of that nature. So the only way to expand my platform is uh, really through you letting uh, those that you're connected with know that this uh, podcast exists. So, again, if you would do that um, on the social, man, I'd really appreciate it. So, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have several guests that probably can speak more deeply um, and with greater clarity to what it is I'd like to talk to you about today. Um, but until those guests are on, I'd, I'd like to at least express my own thought process. Um. There has been, you know, when I be first began this podcast, I was in the in the process of deconstructing. I was in the process of really tearing apart my faith, and I'm and I'm probably still in that process, and perhaps I'll always be within that the deconstruction process. That's a healthy thing for us, but. I've also begun the process of reconstructing my my own personal tradition. Now, in the evolution of my own personal tradition, the foundation of my faith has remained um, very much intact, right? Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, all of those things are still very much a deep truth for me. But the process... Um, with which I practice that tradition, that's evolved quite a lot. In addition to that, some of the some of the things that have deeply resonated with me, and um, some of which have you know been a deep resonance with me, really for all of my life, I've revived some of those deep resonances, and I've added to some of those resonating. Truths. So Christ has remained the foundation of my faith, the foundation of my tradition. But in my evolution, I have added influences and practices that, uh, that deeply resonate with me. And so one of the things that we've been talking about is as we evolve spiritually, we can retain our foundation 
and still amplify our practice, amplify our belief system. Let me give you an example of that. So while my Christian tradition is the foundation of my faith, I've been deeply moved by the words of Buddha. I've been deeply moved by the Tao Te Ching. I've been deeply moved by much of the wisdom found within paganism. And so those things have been an addition to the foundation of Christ being, you know, the savior of the world. That still deeply resonates with me, but some of these additional resonances I've now added to my own personal tradition. And so as I sit here in this place of contemplation, thinking about the deep resonance that lies within, the powerful connection that I have to that which is divine, and really to the life force that surrounds me, the infusion of God in everything, in, in, in all things, and the way that life force speaks to me through a variety of voices, uh, human, celestial, nature, metaphysical, the cosmos, angelic, and my own personal connection to the divine. There's a variety of ways God communicates his love, his will, his compassion, and this relationship that I have uh, with him. You know, what's interesting to me is throughout the entirety of my life, I felt a very deep connection to nature. Now, uh, let me expound upon that just a little bit. I have always felt the energy present, the individualized energy present within trees or plants or rocks or even locations um, bodies of water, a full moon, whatever the case may be, I've always been in tune to the vibrational energy that those individual objects, right, um, inherently have or that are part of their being, right? So, Everything is alive. Everything is energy, right? It might be a different form of energy than human being, but everything is energy and everything resonates and everything gives off a vibe. At least that's what I think, right? And I, and I have always believed that even since I've been a small child, right? So when we would, when we would travel to places, and I would sense the deep resonating energy of that place. I would often ask, why does, it, why does it feel like this here, right? Why does it feel like this in the middle of the desert? Why does it feel like this down by the ocean side? Why does it feel like this in Sedona, Arizona? Why does it feel like this? And so people would often try to give me a reason why I was feeling what I was feeling. But I think now I realize I, I was, I'm just deeply in tune to the energies that surround me. Now, that could be seen as new age or metaphysical or witchcraft. But in reality, 
I mean, it is scientifically true that everything has its own vibration. Everything has its own energy. So this isn't any kind of woo-woo, strange, out there uh, science, right? This is a reality. But one of the things that I found interesting throughout my life experience is this ability to sense the resonance or the energy present in a variety of different places. Now, what was cool for me, um, as a side note, a small rabbit trail, one of the places that energy most deeply resonated with me, I mean, really spoke to my soul or, or the deepest part of my being was in the desert. Right. And in Sedona, uh, Arizona. So deep within the, the Arizona, California desert, there's this vibe. There's this powerful energy. And, the, and it's also present in Sedona, Arizona. And I never felt after I so well, I don't want to get too far off. But right after high school, I moved to Arizona. Right. And uh, I was a Christian at the time. But I experienced this deep, powerful energy present within the desert. I don't. I didn't at that time know what it was, and to be honest with you, I still don't know what the hell that is. I have no idea what that deep resonating energy is, but I knew that I felt it, and I felt very much in tune with it, and I liked it. All right, um, and then I moved back uh, to the Midwest, and I really didn't feel that deep resonance. I didn't feel that powerful pull uh, again. Until my wife and I took a, a vacation to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. If you're not familiar with Eureka Springs, I highly suggest you investigate it and then take a trip there. But anyway, so we showed up in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and um, pulled into town. And I immediately recognized that deep, powerful beautiful vibration of energy um, that for whatever reason I was very much in tune with. Now, I can tell you as I sit here recording this podcast, I realize that that sounds strange. I realize that it sounds a little odd. Um, Christianity really doesn't present an answer for those kinds of sensations and vibrations. Uh witchcraft probably does and so the label doesn't bother me either way I just know that I'm in tune with it and whatever it is that that means exactly I don't really know but I know that it's a reality for me and so I I accept it I practice it and I let it be a part of my being. So I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus, the Savior of the world. Um, but I also know that I have the the ability inherent within this animation, uh, this individual called Craig Hostetler. I have the ability within this to sense vibrational energy from the objects that surround me. Now, I no longer require an explanation for that ability. I no longer require an explanation as to why I sense that. I don't require an explanation as to why a variety of different practices 
that feel true to me are a part of my spirituality because I realize that I am an individual. And this is really what I want to talk to you about in this conversation. You know, many years ago now, um, sadly, uh, he is no longer with us, but my wife and I used to own this very small 3.5 pound dog. It was a Chihuahua and his name was Cisco. And he was this super overconfident, angry ball of curiosity, right? This, he wasn't afraid of anything. Um, he wasn't shy. He wasn't timid. He certainly didn't see himself as small or frail. In fact, I think he believed he was a vicious monster, right? He was, he was bad, right? He he just rip your face off if he if he could. He growled at at guests. He barked and and charged. Uh, we we have this husky that still are uh, with us, but he used to charge at the husky. And um, if he wasn't happy about something, he he would let you know. He growled. He barked. Um, and so nobody really walked by him without getting some sort of feedback about how Cisco was feeling. And honestly, um, I kind of admired his sense of importance, his sense of individuality, his sense of his own voice. I, I kind of admired his, um, his, uh, chutzpah, right? Have you ever heard that word? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think I've ever used it in a conversation, but um, it just means like a shameless audacity, chutzpah. You can look it up, C H U T Z P A H, and it's just this supreme self confidence. And so uh, we we used to have a lot of Chihuahuas uh, through the years. Of uh, Gina and I have been married for what did we decide? 22, 23, 24 years, something like that. So we got married in 96, right? 24? Yeah. So anyway, um, we've had a, we've had several chihuahuas through the years. We got most of them when we were first together, and now, sadly, most of those are gone. We have one, one sweetheart left. But um, when the others would, would cower, Cisco barked and he growled. When thunder rolled, uh, he wasn't afraid. He used his his small voice really to express what he think he thought you needed to hear, and um, he could be pushy, right? Uh, but he valued his individuality and he valued his voice. One of the takeaways that I had in my time with I hate to call it orthodox because what is called orthodox Christianity today really isn't even a shadow of what was orthodox Christianity in times past but let's just say within the commercial corporatized Christianity of today one of the takeaways um, that I was too often presented with was the idea that mankind is this wretched fallen filth that God has graciously stooped low, very low, really, uh, to redeem. And this stooping was inspired by some form of undeserved pity. What, while I believe that 
man needs forgiveness, the redemptive work of God. I don't believe that the redemption of God is inspired by pity. I believe that the redemption of God is inspired by by love, by this overwhelming really really incomprehensible love. Um and I think that that has always been the inspiration of God. Um, God loves humanity. God lo- and, may, and and really created us as 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 individuals, right? So my ability within this animation, I call life the animation. I call myself the animation because all all this really is, you and I, all we really are is just an animating force, right? The deepest part of who we truly are is an eternal spirit that retains and lives on and goes on and on and on and on and on and on. But the animation that is Craig Hosteller is very temporal. I live for a very... This animation, this character lives for a very short time and then he dies and he is no more. But the, the, the spirit deep within, the true I, well, that exists eternally doesn't have an ending. So I think that the animation that I am, I think that God created this, this animation with the ability to sense the life force within the things that surround me. So even though those sensations might be more in line with what we would call new age or witchcraft, um, that doesn't mean that they are in opposition to the Almighty God. In fact, I think they're very much in harmony with the Almighty God. See, somewhere along the line, someone decided that because something didn't jive with their own personal idea of what Christianity was or who God is because they didn't think it or they didn't have the or they didn't retain the ability, practice, ideology of said practice, then it must be wrong. And so here we sit today with a variety of wrongs, with a a variety of objections to practices that really there's nothing wrong with them at all. They're very much in line with who it is that God has presented himself to be. See, I think being human is really a great thing. In all of our inadequacies, and we have many, being human, I think, is something that should be celebrated as is the very idea of being alive. The gift of life that God is giving to you, and yes, it's a daily gift, is too often devalued and in some sort of very, uh, uh, really, I, I think, influential way, it's treated as this very temperate, insignificant thing. And I don't believe that that's what God intended at all. In fact, I think a lot of us today are suffering from depression and and um, inferiority, low self-esteem, because somewhere along the line, we believe that our lives really weren't that great. And in that way, you know, we could take a real lesson from 
the dog that I mentioned earlier, Cisco, right, who regardless of his size, regardless of what some might view as being somewhat insignificant, he valued his own voice. He valued his own convictions. He valued his own values. Far too many of us, we, we, we think that our lives are really so insignificant and unimportant that we don't value the things that deeply resonate with us. We don't value the things that are in inherent abilities. You know, here's the reality, my friends, and I really don't I really don't care what your pastor or uh, you know whomever it is that that wants to tell you, well that's not right or that's not Christian or that's not godly. Screw that, man. If you look back through the history of Christianity and you look at all the variety of ideas that were present and practiced within the tradition of Christianity, if you look at all the different belief systems that existed in this one tradition, you realize that nobody nobody nailed it down. Nobody knows exactly I mean, the Apostle Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. And I confess to know nothing else among you but that. Man, I wish that we could get back to that place. I think that psychic abilities are a reality for God's people. I think that spellcraft is a reality for God's people. Witchcraft. I think that prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge and healing and I think all of those things could very much be a part of the practice, the tradition that is Christianity. Because I think that the human experience, the animation is filled with magic. I think the animation is filled with psychic abilities. I think the animation is filled with the incredible, the incredible infusion of God in everything. And not, not in a pantheistic way, but in a way that God, the creator, has infused everything that he's created. And so we can sense God in a tree. We can sense God in the ground. We can sense God in the air. We can sense him surrounding us in the oxygen, the molecules, the all of that. But some of us, we've so limited our faith to the orthodoxy of whatever, it is, whatever church it is that we belong to, that we don't allow ourselves the ability to expand beyond the boundaries given to us by somebody who superimposed their own ideas or the ideas of someone else or the ideas of, of an organization or denomination or whatever it is that you've allowed to confine you. We don't let our own resonance. We don't let our own vibration, our own individuality, our own creation, our own animation move beyond the boundaries that others have given to us. Your existence here um, by design <coughs> excuse me, you're the very animation incarnation 
of God's expression, his artistic expression. You know, one of the most horrific things I can relect, I, I can, uh, I can recollect happening in my life is allowing others to make me feel insignificant, making me feel uh, irrelevant, short of wonderful, and it was a tragedy, an abomination of sorts. Really, I'm not really sure how or exactly what happened. But there was an eroding that took place, a corrosive cancer that took hold of my inner being. And it began to rust away the truth of my personal wonder, to rust away the ecstatic um, elation of uh, being God-ordained or being divinely crafted the inspiration of the of the divine and the climb back to knowing that I was fearfully and wonderfully made as the psalmist said was a tough one is a tough one I'm still in that process our experience with God has really been limited to the theology you know, the doctrinal statement that most of us have bought into or signed upon. Has this happened to you? Has someone or some group or some vile teaching, a personal failure caused you to view yourself as anything less than amazing? There's an incredible influence in the things that have been spoken over us. And are there things in your life, maybe words that have been spoken over you, perhaps that you were lazy or stupid or no good, or you were never going to amount to anything. You're, you know, a vile sinner. Uh, His ways are above our ways. And, you know, you know, which that is true. I think that there is a false and useless, filthy humility that accompanies the mindset of insignificance, uh, unimportance, irrelevance. And it's inspired by a wicked and dark force. And regardless of its form or its presentation, it's wicked. It may have been a preacher or teacher, a parent or a culture an event, a failure, or fall, whatever the messenger. um, Evil is kind of its inspiration. Not liking yourself as a form of flesh crafted by God, by holiness, by sacredness and intention is really a very, I mean, it's really an incredibly unhealthy thing. Denying the innate metaphysical gifts that God has given to you. And we all have different ones. You can even find them in the scripture. Is a very unhealthy thing. There's a... you don't hear much about it now, but there's an old theology called worm theology, and it's attributed to a guy, I think his name was Isaac Watts, and he wrote a song called The Last Did My Savior Bleed. Uh, and from that from that song, and there's something about 
you know, saving a worm such as I. There's a phrase like that within that song. And from that song came the idea of worm theology. Uh, it was coined. And uh, it was a mindset that propagated and, and sadly is far too often believed uh, within the Christian culture that in the light of God's holiness and perfection, the only appropriate emotion that that we should feel is a very low very low view of our own selves. This creation that we didn't make, by the way, um, this concept isn't in harmony with, first of all, it isn't in harmony with the Bible. And it's not in harmony with Jesus, his birth, his miracles, his love for outcasts, his promotion of women who weren't thought of much uh, in that day and time, his inclusivity of all, his coming, his dying, his resurrection. It's not in harmony at all with Jesus himself. It's a weird theology. It's a weird ideology, but it still creeps its way into so much of what we really believe about ourselves and the way that we allow ourselves to practice our own faith. The reality is for so many of us, we have a deep connection to so many different metaphysical ideas, but we're afraid to expand or to evolve into those ideas because we don't want God to throw us in hell. What a messed up idea that is. What a what an absurd thought. You know, I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son, and maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, but it's a story about this kid who asks his dad if he can have his inheritance like now. So imagine the conversation. Look, I want my money now. I don't want to wait till you die because obviously you're not going to die fast enough for me. So <laughs> this guy's such a jerk, right? He's like, give me my money now. And the father does. He gives him his inheritance now. The kid takes off, man. And he's just blowing this money left and right. He spends every penny on prostitutes and cheap wine and other abominable things. <laughs> if, you've, if you've ever had cheap wine, you know that. His money poorly spent. But seriously, this guy, he's spending, he, so he spends his father's hard-earned money that he has saved for his sons that they might live a more prosperous life. He spends it in the, the, the lewdest um, and, and most disrespectful of ways. Um, and he finds himself finally penniless and homeless and he, um, he gets so hungry that he steals slop from the pigs, right? Now, if you can imagine, Jesus tells this story, and one of the reasons that he includes this is because pigs were such a vile thing in that culture. So what he's trying to illustrate, what Jesus is trying to illustrate through this parable is that this young man has sunk, um, he, he's dived about as low as he can. He's about as despicable as he possibly can be. So he realizes, and you know, you can almost hear the self-righteous 
mean, sneering little smile as they look on this young man who's starving and eating the slop of hogs, you know, licking their carnivorous fangs, their self-aggrandized purity, their presumed holiness as they revel and celebrate in the reality that this young man's immorality has caused him to get exactly what he deserves, right? So this kid realizes... The only thing I can really do is go back home. Um, and once I get there, I won't assume that I can take my position back as a son. Uh, my actions have abnegated my right to do that. Instead, I'll beg my father to let me be a servant of his house. And so in shame, he goes back, right? Um, that's exactly what he does. In self-abasement, he's head hung low. He heads in the direction of home. Now, here's what I'm going to let Jesus tell you the rest of the story. In other words, I'm going to read the Bible. (laughs) Calm down. It's very good. Hold on. So this is Luke 15. Uh, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back. Uh, to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, uh, exclamation point, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've Uh, been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, right, not my brother, this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your bro- this brother of yours, notice, uh, if you will, because it, all these things, uh, they matter. So the, the son says um, to his father, this son of yours, when this son of yours has squandered your property and the father reminds him in verse 32 because this brother of yours see the see the difference so the son refuses to call him a brother 
and the father demands it. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If the story isn't clear to you, let me explain. The prodigal son is you and I, who have undoubtedly fallen. We felt the shame. We failed. We're not quite together. We've acted foolishly at different times in our lives. We played the role of this prodigal, perhaps not to that degree, but we've fallen. And the father in the story is God, who in the midst of our shame, our fall and our failure, um, God runs to us delights over us, throws his arms around us. In an intense and loving embrace, he kisses us, dresses us in the best robe, places a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet and demands he demands that the others recognize us as family. And I realize that there's a lot of you out there who have been shoved, well, perceivably you've been shoved away from the family. You've been cast out, called a heretic, an abomination, all kinds of names. The father demands of the other self-righteous members of the family that you be recognized as brother or sister. Um, the son discovers an amazing treasure I'm loved and my life is valuable it matters I can't help but wonder how many days his past failures uh, snuck up to claim his identity probably often but I bet he remembered the words of of his father for so many of us I think our life contains value when we've done something of value some accomplishment some achievement some sort of mark that defines us and makes our lives meaningful but this isn't the case we're valuable now we are valuable because we are created by God we're the incarnate divine imagination your life matters there's an interesting um, passage Luke Five and fourteen, which uh, Jesus is speaking again. He's teaching. He says, "Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it?" Um, the word "after" is interesting, and I want to talk to you about that. But first, I want you to notice what the Bible says here. If one of his sheep are lost. He pursues this misguided little lamb. And I think that's important. The illustration, the picture Jesus is painting with words is artwork, I think, that describes the character and the heart of God. God is telling you who he is through the words of Christ and how he responds to those who get lost. Now, wait for that. Let that hold you for just a second because the divine has decided it's important for you to know what he does 
when we get lost, when we lose our way. Interestingly uh, uh, to me, Jesus finds it critical to create a teaching about those who get lost, a divine response about those souls who lose their way. And if we dive deeper and think about the inspiration of this lesson, if we contemplate the internal passion of Jesus the Christ in this lesson, which is to create an understanding about the divine uh, and his relationship with those who lose their way, I think powerful revelations can arise. Why does Jesus teach this about the prodigal son? Why does Jesus teach this about the, you know, if one of you has a, a, a lamb and you, know, you have a hundred sheep and you lose one, don't you go and look for this thing until you find it and then you bring it home? Why does uh, why does Jesus create a teaching on this? Um, because God thought he needed to put into words how he responds to us as humans when we've got it right and when we've got it wrong. Um, the Greek word, which I love, um, is a word called zeteo, and it means to crave. And so what Jesus is really saying there is, if one of you has a lost sheep, don't you crave for it? Don't you search for it? Don't you fight for it and find it? Um, so not only does God leave the 99 to pursue, um, he craves our presence. He craves a connection with us. Um, so our lives, they matter. So, I mean, do, do you... If you could answer the question honestly, because I could tell you that I'm still in the process of learning, but uh, do you think that your life matters? The things that you feel, the convictions that you hold, the inherent gifts that you have, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, uh, prophecy, whatever. Do you think those are powerful? Do you think those matter? Do you do you recognize them? The things that resonate so deeply with you, regardless of whatever practice or tradition has currently claimed them, do you give space for those in your life because you're important? Too many times, others have tried to erode the inherent knowing within. Too many times, uh, I think we've allowed people to do that to us. But our life matters. This creation matters. This animation, this role, this character that God has set into motion absolutely matters. You, 
and your inherent gifts and abilities, whatever they may be, if they're if they're um, metaphysical abilities, if they're musical abilities, if they're poetry, if they're uh, whatever, whatever your thing. Do you realize how important it is? And I'm not talking about monetary gain or, or I'm not even talking about being recognized by certainly people within a denomination or within a corporate Christian context or any other context for that matter. Do you realize that those gifts, they matter. They need to be cultivated because you, the animation, you, the story, Um, you matter you absolutely and not in the realm of acceptance and not in the you know acceptance uh, fame those are all I don't know how do you put it that's a ruse right that's uh that's not real. What is real is the amplification of those things that deeply resonate within you. Because God created you that those aspects might blossom in this animation in the physical yeah you know um, Genesis 1 and 27 so God created man in his image in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them um, why don't you just start being the creation of God? Don't let others define what it is exactly that that looks like. Uh, yeah. It's hard whenever things are open-ended like this, isn't it? <laughs> Without being able to just nail down exactly what it is. But this is one of those aspects where you really have to search deep. You know, within esoteric Christianity, there's the idea that each one of us is our own cosmos to be explored and understood. Most of us don't spend the time to do that. To find out who it is that God really made us or created us to be. Not just externally, but uh, internally as well. So go and be that light, man, to the world. Let the true you really reveal yourself. Really reveal the diversity, the power, the magic that God, you know, unleashes in this cosmic thing that we call the universe and life. All right, man, that is it. Have a great uh, rest of your week. 
I'll catch up with you next time, man. Done. Done.